0: And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Thank you, Dude Walker. Yes, indeed, I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. My guest today is Marty Fonky. Marty is a strategic business investor widely known as the adventurous marketer, he's based in Olathe, Kansas. Marty Fonkey, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Frank. And uh, thank you for having me for the second time, actually. <laughs> That's right. Since I believe we spoke many, many moons ago.
0: We will get back to that later. I um, Thank you for reminding me about that. Um, I want to talk about your idea of strategic business investing. I'm fascinated by it. And I'm thinking that this is something that my uh, viewers and listeners are really gonna be interested in as well. Now, I have spoken to friends and family investors. I have spoken to angel investors. I have spoken to investment bankers. I have spoken to venture capitalists. I've tried to get a lot of bankers, you name it. I've tried to get money out of a lot of people, Marty. But I will say that I was not familiar with the concept or at least the nomenclature, strategic business investor. What exactly does that mean?
1: Well, thanks for asking that, Frank. And yeah, there's there's ways of investing or or if you are a business owner getting investments in your in your business, um, everything from debt to, to like you said, angel family, family offices, lots of other things. I've been a very long time follower of Radio Free Enterprise, and um as I as we we'll talk about later on. Um, We, you know, we met many years ago and you've had a number of guests on the, on the line talking about selling your business. And one of the things that occurred to me was that um, sometimes people have an all or nothing thought process with regard to that. They think I either own my business or I sell my business, but they're never thinking about what's in between that. And what's in between that is selling a portion of your business and particularly selling a portion to a strategic investor. So an angel investor or a VC or other levels, they're there to give you capital, cash, and that's pretty much it. But the, the difference between that and a strategic investor is they're going to give you capital and cash and they're going to do something more strategic to your business. So they may give you access to resources you didn't otherwise have, access to business you didn't otherwise have. Um, access to maybe maybe you're really great at, at, at selling but you're really bad at operations they'll provide infra in uh, operational infrastructure etc so a strategic investor not only provides capital but strategic resources to help you either save your business if you're struggling or grow your business if that's your goal and so it's a little bit different than just cash in hand
0: I follow you. And uh, it's interesting because uh, one of the guests I had on recently talking about selling your business, we talked about selling your business to the public uh, through an IPO or a variety of other options. And one of the things I learned when I was trying to take a dot-com public back in the late 90s, right around the year 2000, was that, yeah, there are a lot of people who got some money, but not all of them are as bright as you would think they are. There's not necessarily a direct correlation between the size of their checking account balance and their and their IQ, and the other thing is they may know nothing about your industry or nothing about any specific aspect of business operation. What I would call the six M's, and so they were what we referred to as dumb money. They weren't smart money. They just all they were able to do for us was stroke a check, and it sounds like what you're talking about here, in many cases, could be so much more valuable than even the money itself. How would you compare? It it sounds like what you do is a lot like what we see being discussed on the television show Shark Tank. How would you respond to that comparison? Uh,
1: Shark Tank, I I would actually more liken it to the television show The Profit, if you want to talk television show comparisons. Shark Tank generally tends to be early stage investments, somebody that has an idea, that is either at, at prototype stage or maybe maybe just uh, post-launch stage. And, and and so the sharks are there to invest a lot of money to get it off the ground. Now, they do provide strategic investments. So um, in particularly, uh, our oh, name escapes me, but the one who has a lot of experience in direct marketing and QVC, a lot of times you'll see as part think of, her of her investment, she'll so say, I'll, I'll get you on QVC. Pardon mm-hmm. me? Yeah. So... But you think about the profit, though, if you've, if you've watched that TV show, it's a little bit more like that. The profit is, is very much a strategic investor. So he'll, he'll go into a business. He will invest in a, a percentage of the business. And there's a big difference between what he does and what, um, what, 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 my group does. And I'll tell you about that later. But not only is he providing cash, but then he comes in and what, what's his, what's his catchphrase? I'm a hundred percent in charge, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he's providing business strategy, business consulting to help that business grow, fix the problems they have. And then beyond that, for the businesses that really um, are, are successful for him, for him, he's providing a substantial amount of strategic uh, support to all of the businesses. For example, in one of the earlier seasons of The Profit, he purchased a very small sign shop. Well, that sign shop is now a very large sign shop. Why? Because every business the profit invests in, he buys new signs for, including his his biggest business, which is Camping World. And guess who provides all of the, the signs for all those businesses? That sign shop. So that sign shop could have raised a quarter million dollars from a passive investor But instead, they raised money from a a strategic investor, and now their business is 50 times what it ever would be without going into a strategic investment. So that's a very specific kind of example.
0: And that's perfect because it makes it so much easier for us to understand. And with that in mind, I do want to come back to how your process differs from the profit. And we've talked about this early, and I know it's significant. Um, But to keep on that mindset of, you know, we want to really get our arms around what it is that you do. Can you give us an example? You told me about a company, a, a bee and honey, beekeeper honey company uh, that you've worked with. I think it's a great example of this type of strategic involvement.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for that. So when I very first began this this real active strategic investment process, it was really at the beginning of the pandemic about a year ago. Now, I've been an investor for almost 20 years, and I've done over $300 million worth of mergers and acquisitions, both on the buy side and sell side. But most of that was more high-level corporate kind of stuff. At the beginning of the, the lockdowns and the pandemic back in 2020, I recognized that there were a lot of businesses that were going to be struggling because of what was going on. And so I immediately went into helping business mode, which is helping entrepreneurs, helping small businesses to survive what was about to come. So I started reaching out to my contacts and saying, look, if your business is struggling, let me know, I'd love to help you. I got a response back from a company who is a, they're a beekeeping company. Now, interestingly, I had not too long ago heard a story on NPR uh, about how important bees are to the agriculture industry. So these beekeepers will take their hives they will drive them cross country. They'll leave the hives at a at an almond uh, orchard in California or in a lettuce field in in you know wherever Arizona or whatever. And they the bees pollinate the crops, and they do a much better job than any kind of artificial pollination. But the farmers don't want to own bees and take care of bees, so the beekeepers bring take the bees the hives out, drop them off. The bees do their thing, what nature's created them to do. And then the hives, they come back to the hives and the beekeepers bring the hives back to their location and and they get paid to do that. Now, when the hives come back, they're loaded with honey from all of that pollination. So the beekeepers then take that honey out of the hives and they turn it into products they can sell. So honeycombs, jars of honey, other types of honey products, honey lotion, et cetera. And so most... Thriving beekeepers have sort of a, a 2 pronged um, revenue stream. So one is the the leasing of the hives, and two is the, the honey. Well, I got reached, uh, contacted by a, a company that does this, and we got to talking, and I said, well, what, what do you need to make your business survive and thrive through this time? And they said, we need, need $60,000. We need an investment of $60,000, and that will get us where we need to go. And I said, okay, what will you do with that $60,000? Well, they said, well, we need two things mainly. Number one, we need a new vehicle so that we have a second vehicle to deliver hives out and, and pick up hives from farm fields. I said, okay, that, that makes sense. And they said, number two, we need to hire somebody in our, our warehouse, uh, which was a barn, and to ship all of the orders we're getting in from our website of our honey products. And I said, okay, that, that okay. So I asked them some more questions. And uh, I said, "Well, how many orders do you get?" And I can't remember what the number was, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a ton you know 40, 50 a day at the most. And um, we I did some math and I said, "Have you ever heard of 3pL or, or outsourced outsourced fulfillment?" And they hadn't now I've been involved in using that type of uh, service for 30 years, so to me it was just kind of a like logical, but they had never heard of that. And that is where you can take all of your products, ship it to one central warehouse, and they will inventory, and they will pick, pack, and ship your items if you have a a website or an e-commerce company, and they'll ship it out. And it's like $3 an order. And then you have no overhead of a full-time person and all of the things that you have to buy postage meters, scales, everything else. Just let them do it all. And they had never heard of that. So I said, well, if we did that, you wouldn't need as much money. And they said, no, we wouldn't. So as I further was looking through their, their, uh, we got further down the conversations and they gave me some of their, some of their, um, their information, their financials, et cetera. And I was looking over their inventory list. Now on their inventory list, they had CBD honey. And I, I contacted them back. I said, okay, I'm looking over your financials and I'm seeing this item on your inventory list that says CBD honey but I'm not seeing that on your website. What's the story? And they said, oh yeah, we are um, the supplier of beehives to the largest hemp fields in Colorado, which is interestingly enough where most hemp is grown for CBD products. And they said, when we take the bees out, they pollinate the hemp fields. They come back laden with hemp pollen and inside that hemp pollen is naturally occurring CBD. And so when they bring that in and create the honey, the honey has CBD in it naturally. And I thought, well, that's, a, that's an amazing story. That's, I, I've never heard of that such That sounds very valuable. Oh, absolutely. So I Google it and I see that most CBD honey on the market is somebody took some honey and they took some CBD oil and they mixed it together and then they're selling it as CBD honey. And I said, this is a much greater story. It's pure organic. It's an incredible opportunity. I said, why aren't you selling it? And they said, well, we're, we're afraid of the legal ramifications. That makes sense. that some states are still restrictive. Some states are are easier. So that, that we're just we aren't sure how to do it and really do this right. So I made two calls. And on my second call, I arranged for them to have a an exclusive partner to take all that CBD honey off their hands and license it from them and be or not license it, but basically become their exclusive distributor for it and sell it on their own. Well, guess how much that honey was worth?
0: I have no idea.
1: $100,000.
0: <laughs> and they already had it in so, inventory.
1: They, it was sitting there doing nothing because they didn't know what to do with it.
0: Amazing. So, Well, that's a great that example 000, of strategic dollars. thinking and the strategic value of your experience and your perspective. So exactly. where did Well, let's exactly. uh, cut to the so, chase. You didn't write them a check for $60,000, I take it. They didn't get a new vehicle. Where are they now?
1: They did get a new vehicle. No, oh. they didn't. They moved their inventory <laughs> because because they needed the, the hundred grand went into their pockets. Right, we we sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of product, but I negotiated for equity in their company in exchange for putting that deal together. The person who actually did that deal negotiated a really great deal, and everybody won. They got a hundred thousand dollars that it was non-existent. We created that Amazing. out of thin air. Mm-hmm. They got the new vehicle. We moved their operations for their shipping into a 3PL business. So they didn't need to hire that extra person. And they saved about 50% of what they would have cost by hiring, hiring a person. And they had a bunch of extra money to do to do what they wanted. So that's a strategic investment. That is, I could have just written them a check for 60 grand and said, good luck to you. Yeah. And that's what a lot of investors would do. But instead, I looked for how do we really impact this business in a profound way so that my investment's going to grow and that business is going to be saved? Well, 100 grand is better than 60 grand, and 40,000 in expenses is better than 60,000 in expenses. And now we have a new sales channel with a new product, and everybody wins. That's, That's a strategic great.
0: investment. That's why I love that story is the win, win, win. A uh, couple of things I'd like to point out uh, that come to my mind as I listen to that story. One is, a lot of investors, the money's all they have to bring. They don't have your experience. They don't have your Rolodex. They don't think the way you do and the way the profit does. Um, another thing is that the money that they saved on their fulfillment, goes way before Benjamin Franklin, but a penny saved is a penny earned. One thing many Absolutely. people don't understand is that if you Save $10, it goes right to the bottom line. But if you sell $10 more of product, only about a dollar goes to the bottom line if you're lucky. And that's why cost savings are so critical to profitability. Now, I love that story, but I want to now go back to, I think anyone who's watched The Profit and just heard that story that you told has a pretty good handle on what it is that you do and, and how you might help a company. So let's, before we move on, I want to ask you, how does your process and your business model differ from the profit? First, if you would explain his model and then how yours differs.
1: Absolutely. So the profit is, he has two key tenets to what he does. Now he varies from it a little bit occasionally, but for the most part, if you look at most of his deals, he buys 51% ownership and he is 100% in charge. Now we differ in that we prefer not to have 51% ownership. We prefer to have less. Our average investment usually fits between 20 and 30%. The reason for that is because I want the owner of the business who has worked for 5 years, 10 years, in some cases 20 years to grow that business, to keep it alive. It's their baby. I don't want them to feel like they have lost their baby. So I have found a sweet spot in that, you know, 20 to 30% range that keeps the ownership, the majority of the ownership on the, on the current owner. I also am a very big fan of bringing the key members of the business in as owners as well. So whether that be an, an an ESOP, a formal ESOP with the whole business, or whether that just be bringing some of the key partners in, whether it be the chief operating officer, et cetera, and giving them some ownership percentage as well, because I've seen more businesses thrive because even if, even if somebody owns 3% of a company, guess what? they own 3% of a company. And there's a whole different mentality when you own part of the business versus just an employee. So I like to leave room for other people to have ownership that, that are directly involved in the business. And I like to leave the current owner as the owner of the business. Now that has philosophical, obviously, ramifications, but it also has some very high level logistical ramifications, especially if the business is minority owned, veteran owned, woman owned, et cetera. Mm, If you, if we take over more than 50, 50%, we lose a lot of those benefits. And with some of our businesses, that's been really, really critical. So we are not 51% ownership and we are not a hundred percent in charge. If you are the owner of a business and we make a strategic investment in you, you still own that business. You're still the majority. The final decisions are yours. Now, we're going to advise you. We're going to bring you opportunities. We're going to coach you. And we're going to be looking at that business every week. We, I, I spend one hour a week with every business that we have an investment in. And that hour, we're looking at a dashboard and analyzing the business. We're making sure it's on track and protecting our investment. But the ultimate decision is yours. So that's where it's radically different from the profit because he says it's my way or the highway.
0: I'm sure the benefit, uh, the businesses benefit from that level of rigor and accountability as well. That's probably something a lot of them have not had in the past, in terms of those weekly reports and so forth. Now, um, when, you, you know, the question, it begs the question, what's in it for you, Marty? Okay, you, you know, you're bringing all this value, maybe stroking a check or two, spending time with them, Uh, helping them, you know, arrange. For example, I wanted to also mention, uh, for people who are not familiar, Marty mentioned an ESOP, which is an acronym for an employee share of ownership uh, program. And uh, you're doing things like this, you know, you're putting a lot of yourself into it. What's in it for you?
1: Well, what's in it for me, there, there are two things that are in it for me. Actually, there's three things that are in it for me. So number one the whole purpose of setting out and doing this starting a year ago was saving businesses and saving jobs. That is 100% the most important thing we're doing. And if we, if we can't make a strategic investment investment that's going to do that, then we kind of back out. There are some businesses we can't save. Um, you know, if you are a, and I, I, I have a real passion and a real heart for this, but if you're a business in California that's a restaurant and you've been locked down and you're on your last legs and, and there's no hope in sight for opening that back up, there's no amount of strategic investment. I can help save that. I, I just, yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, sign the petition to oust your governor, I guess. But, so the business has to be salvageable, but to so the number one benefit I get out of it is is helping people. And I love helping people. That's just in my nature. Number two is consistent uh, an ongoing revenue stream. so if I own a percentage of the business, then annually when that business finalizes its books, there's a profit, right? I get a percentage of that profit. so we may decide to reinvest some of that profit. we may decide to take it as uh, as dividends or as you know whatever comp depending on how the company's set up, but generally we're receiving. An ongoing income stream from that investment, and then finally, in a big way we're looking at some of our businesses that we're we're investing in um we're we're working on consolidating and grow and working on a roll up especially in two two categories that we 're working on right now one is home health care and the other one is sporting uh, that is that um, those businesses will be rolled up and eventually be worth incrementally and substantially more in the long run than they were as smaller businesses when we put them all together. And so we're doing what's called multiple arbitrage. So, you know, a small business might be worth two times or three times profits where a much larger business that's 10 to 20 million might be worth 12 times profits. So the the goal is to eventually have an exit strategy on some of these and, um, and very large paydays down, down the road. So we're looking at the help of doing uh, the, the, the joy of helping people, Ongoing income through dividends and profit shares, and then down the road through exit strategies, having uh, some larger paydays.
0: That's great. It all makes a lot of sense and good on you for saving jobs and saving businesses because there are a lot of them out there that can be saved and can be grown and can be a lot of things. They just need somebody like you, Marty, to come in and help them. But that having been said, you mentioned you know one type of business that's you can't help what What sort of criteria do you look for that tell you this business is a good prospect for my process
1: It's pretty wide open We've made investments in everything from beekeeping companies to breweries to printing companies to uh, e commerce companies health and wellness companies there It runs the gamut so really it's a business that can uh, can use a lot of times a business might be stuck um, see just like with personal relationships that kind of you hear about the seven year itch right people people in relationships tend to plateau after about 7 to 10 years businesses have a similar thing we see a lot of businesses in that 7 to 10 year range from when they started and the business owner has gotten too close to it they are frustrated they've hit a plateau and they don't know kind of where to turn so a business like that that just needs a few tweaks and some some fresh vision is wonderful. We love we love those kind of businesses, and the category doesn't really matter so much as is it much it more matters the people. Um, we also have had a number of businesses come to us that our business owners come to us that are ready to retire. The last year has been one of the roughest years for small businesses in in our lifetime, and a lot of times they're ready to retire. Great, we can help that happen. Uh, one of the first deals I did in 2020 was a company like that where the owner wanted to to retire. Now, in that situation, that's a little bit different than the, you know, we we take a minority and and they they can, uh, own a majority because I don't want them owning a majority of the business if they're not working it. So in that case, it actually worked out great because we had a, re- a retiring uh, owner. Uh, I happened to know somebody who would be the perfect new manager for that business who was looking for a job. And so we got Ooh. the owner what they wanted, which is a, a very nice long-term recurring income stream. And then we got somebody, a job running a business that was the perfect business for them. And that business has continued to, uh, continued to thrive. So we're really open to all sorts of opportunities. And it, it, I hate to put too much of a definition on it because it's really about that creativity that there may be a perfect business out there. And if I put too many, you know, constraints on it, they may not reach out and think about this. And I want to touch on one other thing you mentioned, sure. if you don't mind, Go ahead. you said Rolodex earlier, you said may not, they may not have uh, the, the, a large Rolodex like I do. Well, I do have a large Rolodex. I'm a lot older than I look. And I've been in business a lot longer than a lot of people. And I know a lot of people. Um, it is not cool to have a large Rolodex to make something like this work. I'm going to give a couple of really fast shortcuts on how to find people that may be good strategic investors for your business. So number one, who do you pay? And number two, who pays you? If you just sit down and look at your accounts payable and your accounts receivable, there are opportunities along that entire ledger for strategic investors to get involved with your business quick, quick example, your landlord. Now, if you have a landlord that is you're leasing a business, maybe you have a storefront, or maybe you have a warehouse, and you're leasing your business, which most businesses do most businesses don't own their real estate. Uh, And you're struggling to, to, to pay the bills because of what's happening with the economy or whatever else. Your landlord is an investor, they have put a lot of money into this building, and they are hoping for a return on it. So automatically, you know, they're the kind of person who's willing to risk capital. So go to your landlord and say, "Hey, what would what could we work out where instead of us paying you the lease for the next year, you don't charge us all that, and the the amount that that all accumulates turns into stock in our company, and you become a part owner of our business." I've seen it happen many times, or companies that other companies you write checks to. So we helped a. Um, Uh, an accounting company this year. And the accounting company was happened to be a company that I used. And we went to them and said, you know, do you They they had reached out and said they needed capital? And what do you need? And we kind of talked through what they needed. And we came to an arrangement where um, we became own, part owners of that company, yeah. and one of the arrangements was all of the that we that we invest in now all go through there, so that yes. we have all of our books similar, all the same. Well, we're we're doubling the size of that accounting firm just by bringing them business that we are already doing. That's great, and they are very happy for the business. And now instead, and now, and that was kind of our investment, right? So, who are you writing checks to, and who's writing checks to you? is the first place you can start on finding good strategic – because they're invested in your business succeeding. Like Lord, They don't Mm -hmm. want you going anywhere. They want you to succeed.
0: So I I just wanted to touch
1: on that because you don't have to have a big Rolodex to make this work.
0: Now, I want to uh, wrap up with how the process works, but I wanted to come back to one other thing. I completely understand why you don't want to constrain, uh, you know, put guardrails on who you might be interested in investing in. But isn't it true that you, I think you mentioned early on, or maybe it was in our previous conversation, that you're not interested in investing in startup companies, that you're looking for companies that have been in business for a period of time and have a track record. Is there any minimum amount of time or minimum revenue, uh, annual revenue generation or, or any minimal uh, requirement?
1: Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, that is true. We are not looking for startups and we get hit with them constantly. We are really looking to save businesses and save jobs and startups can create jobs, but, but they're so high risk. And that's just, it's just not what we are focused on right now. So um, yeah, minimums, not necessarily. I mean that, you know, the beekeeping one was $60,000. We've had others for $20,000 that that was what they felt they needed. Um, on the maximum, I mean, right now we're on, we're doing a deal for a 175 million. So, (laughs) so we're really, we're really got a a wide range of, uh, you know, it's really more about the people and about the business. But yeah, we definitely want a business that, that has been in business for some time, has some sort of track record and is either, is either plateaued or is in trouble, needs to be helped or is, is on an accelerated course but wants to um, grow exponentially because we've got the resources to make that happen as well. So exactly. it's really all about any business that needs help and is existing, then that we're interested in taking a look at it.
0: Wonderful. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Okay, so how does the process work? Let's say somebody's watching or listening to us right now, and they're thinking, you know, my company would be a good prospect for this. Uh, let's start with how they would reach out to you and then what happens next? Well,
1: I want to make it very clear that I am not necessarily asking people to call me or reach out to me for help. I, I would love it if they helped themselves. Okay. So the first thing to do is what I said, look around and find out who could be a strategic investor in your business. You don't necessarily need me. Like I said, who do you pay, who pays you, who your key partners are, your advertising partners, your suppliers, your key salesperson. What about Uh, a competitor? competitor. Ah, I was just going there. Your competitor could be. Now you have to be very careful with that because a competitor may use that information to against you. But, but there are many competitors out there who are, what we call them as cooperators. So they're, they're a competitor that, that cooperates with you. That can absolutely be a, be a potential. So, before you feel like you need to bring somebody in like myself or, or others, you know, just, I just really want to plant that seed of, if you need to raise capital, you don't always have to sell your entire company, that you can sell a piece of it and get where you need to go. So if if I've at least brought that to mind, I, I've accomplished something here. Now, with regard to, okay, you feel like you feel like you understand it. You you're, you're a likely candidate for strategic investment for your business and you want to contact us. That's great. You can contact us. The website's right there on the screen. What beautiful graphics you have, by the way, Frank, I'm just, <laughs> you just run a first class, first class operation. I have a operation. team of elves
0: that take care of this for me, Marty.
1: You must. Cause I just, I'm so impressed with everything you've got going. So I um, mean, contact me there on on the website. There's a contact form and um, we can bring you in and, and we'll do a free consultation it'll be 30 minutes long. Uh, you tell us what you're looking for. We will tell you whether or not it fits. We're pretty fa- pretty quick at, at being able to tell. Um, you know, we've looked at uh, over 200 deals in the last year. And so we'll know whether or not we can help you or not. If we can help you, then it really just becomes about figuring out how we're going to help you. So like I said, it's not always just writing a check. Sometimes that's not what you need um even if you think that's what you need sometimes it's not like the beekeeping story i could have just written a check but sometimes it's about uncovering hidden assets in your business uncovering opportunities in your business so we'll usually provide as part of our investment we usually provide coaching we also provide masterminding with all of our other businesses so that you start to network that's with great. businesses that are similarly aligned but not necessarily in your category but just starting to open up to the world's bigger than my, you know, than, than my little my furniture store or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we encourage our 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 um, investment portfolio, the owners of our invest, investment portfolio, to grow and expand their network and expand their mind and 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 expand their businesses. Of course,
0: it seems like there's a real snowball aspect to all of this. All of the synergy and the energy and the just everything spinning in the same direction. It's uh, it's the old uh, what is it? Create a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts, and almost exponentially from all the different ways that you're talking about, even coaching, training, masterminding. That's wonderful. Well, we're just about out of time, Marty. Uh, I always like to ask my guests whether or not there's a question I should have asked you that I didn't, or something that's come to your mind uh, during our conversation that you want to share before we go.
1: Boy, that's a great question. You've done such a, a wonderful job of letting me ramble. I think I covered most everything I wanted to I wanted to say. Um, I will just say, I'd like to close it with don't give up. Um, we are seeing so many businesses struggle today. And please exercise all resources before you give up what you worked so hard to build. Please look for PPP, EIDL, angel investors, strategic investors, whatever it takes. I just don't want anybody to lose their dream. I've experienced real and personal loss from my um, my personal network and my business network from people who've lost their businesses and taken tragic turns because of it. And I don't want that to happen to you. So please reach out for help and give it all you've got to, to help. We're, we're here. Even if you just you know, even if you just want to talk and know there's hope, give me a call.
0: Marty Fonke, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks
1: for having me, Frank. It's been awesome.
0: Thanks again to Marty. And thank you, thanks to you for joining us as well. Until next time, I'm Frank Felker saying, I'll see you on the radio. He's the kind of guy who finds microeconomics fascinating. Uh, but go ahead and listen anyway. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker.